Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 28 of Authors on a Podcast Talking Books. I'm your host, David Walters. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with author Dan Stout. Dan lives in Columbus, Ohio, where he writes noir with a twist of magic and a disco chaser. His tales of murder, mystery, and speculative fiction draw on travels around the world, as well as an employment history spanning everything from subpoena server to assistant well driller. Dan's work has appeared in publications such as the Saturday Evening Post and Nature, and his debut novel, Titan Shade, is the first book in the Carter Archives from Doll Books. It is a proven fact that getting mail from readers makes him chortle with delight and refer to himself in the third person. But without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Dan Stout. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for coming on, and thank you so much for... Uh, you know, this whole accommodation deal I've got going on <laughs> with my setup today. So, <laughs> Oh, I know we talked a little bit off air. Um, how are you, uh, how are you guys holding up in, uh, in Ohio through all this? You know, we're, we're doing pretty good. Um, both I and my fiance work from home anyway. Um, and so we've been able to make the, the kind of self quarantine and isolation changeover without too much, too much headache and too much hassle, um, but it, it is definitely kind of a crazy time. Every whenever I'm, I'm take a break from writing, kind of pick my head up and look around. It's it's a pretty crazy time to be alive. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, you know we talked a little off air. My my wife and I um, were we're kind of lucky because her 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 folks have a lake house that's just a ways away from us. So we came down for a couple of days, and uh, she's a first uh, first grade teacher, and she just found out today, like literally, I don't know about an hour ago. Uh, that our state has basically shut down schools the rest of the year, like through May. And so she's not going to be going back into the classroom to see any of her kids anymore or anything like that. And so uh, she's now having to prep to do e-learning. Yeah. So uh, I'm assuming we're going to start seeing that a lot more, you know, around the country, which is, it's, it's good and bad because it's good because it's keeping people in and safe, but it's bad because, I don't know when we're going to return to a, a kind of a normalcy again. Uh, I know, I know Trump really wanted it to be Easter and I don't think that's going to happen, but uh, you know, maybe, maybe middle of the end of May um, we can start seeing kind of a turnaround. I know, you know, China is starting to see less and less people, you know, getting infected, but you know, we're probably, I don't know, a month behind them as far as the spread. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So it's, uh- it's weird. Yeah, well, and, and it's strange, too, because, uh, you know, the one kind of blessing in all this is that we do have the Internet and so many of us are able to work from home. Right. And not everybody. Um, but if this had happened in, I don't know, like in the 80s, uh, everyone would have just been in a position where it was almost impossible to function. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's. uh you know, it, it's, it's nice to, to still, to still be able to do this. And, you know, but at the same time, there's so many jobs that can't be done remotely and you just, you really feel for those people. Um, you know, cause I think I saw a figure where in Alabama, at least like within the last maybe two weeks, there, there were like 9,000 people that filed for unemployment and wow. uh, it's, yeah. it's just insane. And, and, you know, of course they're having the stimulus package come out, but it's going to be, you know, three plus weeks before, you know, those, you know, people are going to start seeing those checks and my wife and I are looking, we're like, you know, we both have the ability to have jobs where we can work remotely. And, um, you know, we don't have to worry about, you know, are we going to have a job when we go back and kind of stuff like that? I'm like, we've got to find a way to reallocate that money to somebody who actually needs it. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like just as a society as a whole, we really have to take a step back and figure out how we can help out the people that are, are left out more on a limb by this whole thing, because otherwise it's just going to be a catastrophe. Exactly, so. exactly. Well, let's uh, let's move on to something happier. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I feel like we could talk about this all day for sure. But um, so, kind of kind of starting out, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me about uh, growing up, uh, where you grew up, going through school, uh, maybe any hobbies you had growing up. Sure, I uh, I was born and raised in Toledo, Ohio, um, and uh, uh, like a lot of people who end up writing, you know, I'm just learned to tell stories by getting out the GI Joes and the transformers. Um, and, uh, my mom actually was great because she used to let me tell her the stories of the, uh, you know, the adventures of my action figures and she would write them out for me. And then I learned to write by writing kind of mimicking her handwriting on the line underneath it. Um, so it kind of learning from an early age that you can tell stories and she, people actually get to do that for a living. And it always seemed like just the best job in the world. Um, and I wanted to write and tell stories from an early age. I, I took any kind of classes that I could in school, but I never quite learned how to do it. I learned uh, on this, on, like on the line level and descriptions and things like that, but I never learned how to tell like a capital S story until I was much older and much later in life. Um, that wasn't until about 2011, 2012. Uh, and starting around that time, I sort of dove into uh, writing more more often and taking the craft more seriously. I got you. Um, so did you, uh, I mean, I, I guess, did you go through high school and college? Um, and then I guess, did your writing career kind of go after that? Or did you worked several jobs, I guess, prior to kind of getting into writing? Yeah, I, I kicked around uh, all kinds of different jobs, and I, I traveled quite a bit. Um, and uh, I worked as, you know, pretty much any kind of day labor under the sun, and uh, it worked in all kinds of different places around the world. Um, and then uh, it was actually when my, my dad passed away, and I uh, gave a eulogy for him. And seeing how that story connected with people, and obviously it was it was an emotional it was an emotional experience for me because my dad had died. Right. Uh, but as people were coming up to me and letting me know how much it had affected them, and the the priest at the service asked if he could use the eulogy for other funerals, uh, I realized that I had stumbled into kind of telling a like a capital S story, if mm -hmm. you will. Yeah. So for the first time I realized that I'd done that and I sort of stepped back and I really examined what I had done and how I had built, built that structure. And that's something I think of a lot kind of when I'm sitting down at the word processor with a blank page. And it's, it's nice because it's a way to think of my dad and to thank him and to uh, kind of refocus myself on what the, the core of telling a story and sharing concepts is. I gotcha. Um, so I guess, uh, do you, do you write full time now or do you still have, um, I, I guess, I guess you do have a secondary job since you said you do work from home. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I, uh, I, I write full time, but it's split between fiction and nonfiction. Uh, okay. I worked in construction for about 
15 years, give or take a little bit. Uh, and right now I, I write a lot of uh, nonfiction for construction companies, um, construction websites. So uh, once I got my book deal, I was able to, I, I used to split my time between writing nonfiction and uh, I worked on an auto assembly line. When I got my book deal, I left the uh, assembly line and I switched over to nonfiction and fiction full time. Okay. I gotcha. So do you, <laughs> do, do you find yourself like, I guess not really, not necessarily bored with the nonfiction part, but like, do you always try to find yourself like, how can I spice this up <laughs> based on your fiction <laughs> that you write? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's going to sound ridiculous, but for a big part of it for me is finding the cool thing in whatever I'm, I sit down to write, like find that joy, find the fun, whatever I got to do mm-hmm. in order to make it engaging for me. Even if it is, you know, how do you recycle roofing shingles? <laughs> I'm, like there's gotta be something in there that is interesting and engaging for me on some level. Uh, it, because by finding that, that's how I put together something that is interesting and engaging for the reader. When what's true, whether the per, the reader is reading a short story or an informative article. Yeah. See, so, so have you uh, have you ever thought about <laughs> putting putting some of that into your into your fiction writing, like into the Carter archives? Like, uh, you know, he ends up having to find out how to recycle roofing shingles. <laughs> <laughs> actually is a very brief bit of plumbing in uh titan's day so the the book that just is getting ready to release so just just a real brief mention but it's in there (laughs) okay (laughs) i mean i figured i figured you got to use something right i mean you can't you can't just leave it all to the wayside but like all right i'm gonna completely separate my two writing careers (laughs) (laughs) um as far as uh i mean not just noir itself but as far as your writing career, who would you say uh, would be your biggest influence or who, who did you read growing up that kind of made you want to write? Oh man. What a, I mean, I, I, man, it, it feels like I'm being flipped when I say this, but everybody, like every time I read something, I absorb it. And I just, I love words and I love the way that language comes together. Mm-hmm. Um, like finding Stephen King was a really big deal for me. Um, I found I'm, I'm, I was the, like the baby in the family, right? I'm the youngest of eight. So I raided one of my sister's rooms and I stole, uh, like her copy of Stephen King's night shift, his anthology from 74 or something. And I just read it till it fell apart. Uh, and I still, I still own, own that same copy. It's all held together with packing tape. Um, and, uh, that, and I, another one of my sisters had a bunch of like the Tolkien calendars with the, beautiful art by like the uh, the Hildebrandt brothers and a bunch of other artists. And that got me kind of dragged into Tolkien and she gave me her set of uh, Lord of the Rings. And so I read Lord of the Rings really young. Uh, I didn't, I, most of it was over my head, but just, I kind of fell in love with that idea of a fantasy world and all the intricate world building and twists and complications that fall into those books. Yeah, I'm going to have to start uh, pressing my question with that and saying, okay, besides Stephen King, who was your influence? I swear every single author I talk to either says Stephen King or Tolkien. I'm like, we got to come up with somebody else. But I mean, honestly, I mean, those were the those were like the biggest, you know, names, Uh you know, in in those times that everybody was growing up. So I'm like, 
you know, somebody's got to come up with somebody that just nobody's heard of before. <laughs> and everybody's like, oh, I got to go read him now or her now. So, <laughs> um, so when you write, and it and it may be different for fiction versus nonfiction, but where do you typically uh, find yourself writing? Do you have a home office you write in? Do you write in coffee shops? Do you, I guess, write in different places depending on your mood? Yeah, for me, a big part of it is finding the right place. Uh, and I have about six months to a year of writing in one spot before I start to get distracted there. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I do have a home office that I can kind of work out of, but uh, I usually go to a co-working space and I'll go to someplace and I'll just sit there. And honestly, it's to get me out of the house and get me away from all the little chores and errands that I could be doing. Mm-hmm. Because I, I'm not the kind of procrastinator that'll sit down and watch Netflix, but I, man, I will swiffer the hell out of my floors and I will unload the dishwasher and take the dog for a fourth walk that day. <laughs> Whatever it is that I can justify to myself as kind of doing chores or being productive uh, to avoid the actual hard work of writing. And the only way I've found to really avoid that is to get out and go someplace where I just don't have that option. Yeah. I, I'm completely with you. I, I walk around, you know, if, if I have the ability to, to be at the house to, to, you know, work remote or anything, I, I'll find myself like taking a break and I'll just walk around and I go, man, these floors need a vacuum. I mean, I know I just did it yesterday and I know I have three dogs and that's the reason, but like they really needs to clean. And I was like, you know, while I'm cleaning, can, I, can there be some like dishes I got to wash? And I'll find myself being doing that for like an hour or two. And I go, Oh my gosh, my like, email, like my inbox is, stacking up like i've actually got to get back and go, go to work but you know i don't find myself doing that in the office obviously because i don't have that ability to, to disconnect yep. so mm-hmm. i i completely understand where you're coming from i i don't know if i'd be able to write my well i say i i don't know if i'd be able to write but i definitely cannot write because i've attempted to and it just doesn't work because i get distracted by everything else i'll sit i'll sit in my office and i go okay I, i'm gonna go ahead and start putting some words to a page you know I really need to go do X, Y, Z, or, you know, people have been telling me I need to catch up on the show and I've got a TV in here now. So let's watch that. And it just completely <laughs> goes out the wayside. <laughs> yep. Oh man. So, uh, all right. I want to know what is the oddest job you've ever had? Uh, you know, one of the first jobs I had as a kid was I, I went down to, uh, I don't remember some kind of festival. Um, and I got hired on. It was, you know, in a big city park. It was either a uh, concert or an arts fest or something like that. And they stuck me by the exit. You know, and the, the exit you had to drive through like a, a big grass field, you know, the, the big uh, concert parking type thing. Yeah. And they had a giant arrow pointing at the driveway that led out to the street. And my job was to stand next to the arrow and point at the arrow. <laughs> So I was, you know, 12 or 13 or something, and I was getting paid 20 bucks to come down there and help these people for a day. And I just stood there pointing at a big sign. And it actually ended up being a lot of fun because everybody who drove up thought it was hysterical. <laughs> and so then I would, I started doing like little basic dancing and, you know, kind of uh, just being a, a little 12, you know, little 12 year old punk kid uh, pointing at an arrow, knowing that this is ridiculous, but <laughs> So you were like the uh, you were like the before of the uh, the sign dancers you see like on streets uh, street sides or uh, sidewalks. You know they're trying to like get people into businesses. 
that are doing that, the sign spinning and stuff? That's exactly it. But my <laughs> dance moves weren't nearly as good as those guys. <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to think. I think it's a, an episode of The Office where uh, where they're opening that uh, pyramid store, the pyramid phone store, and Jim is trying to uh, outdo the guy down the street with a sign and ends up just holding it and pointing. He's like, he's like, I had to give up. I feel like that's probably you. <laughs> that's it. Oh my gosh. Um, all right. So let's get like basically into writing now. So can you tell me a little bit about your writing process? I mean, I know, uh, you know, you've been doing the nonfiction stuff and you've done some short stories and some anthologies and so forth. Uh, but as far as the Carter archives, uh, being done with book two, I'm assuming working on book three, do you, um, have you been doing a whole lot of plotting for these books? Are you flying by the seat of your pants on them or did you do one for one and one for another? Um, I, you know, for me, the, the most fun is in the plotting and the revising. Actually sitting down and getting the words out of the paper is kind of like pulling teeth sometimes. That's the hard part for me. Uh, I love thinking about the story and thinking about the characters and thinking how it's going to make people feel. Uh, I love all of that. And I love putting the pieces together in my head. Getting it on the paper is really difficult. So I have to kind of force myself to get it through. Uh, and I know that it's just not going to be, it's not going to match what I have in my head. It's mm -hmm. never going to be as good as it is in the abstract version that's floating around in my brain. So I just have to accept that. And then once it's on paper and it's somewhere, then I can begin polishing it and honing it. And I'm, what I'm always working toward is it's like weaving a tapestry. And as you're putting it all together, there's this moment where it's getting pulled tighter and tighter. And then all of a sudden it just snaps and it all comes together and it becomes clear. And that moment is just magic. I love it. I gotcha. So, uh, do you, um, I guess, do you keep like a notepad for all your outlines? Do you type them all out in a document? Do you have a whiteboard that you keep that you, uh, try to keep everything detailed out? Literally all of the above. Okay. I, I have, I have a whiteboard in my office. Um, I put big, like two by three sheets of paper all over my walls and I draw all over them. Uh, I always have a journal that I take everywhere with me and I write down ideas and I draw sketches and, uh, do everything I can think of. And um, then I take all that stuff and I dump it into an outline. I usually use Scrivener at that point and I start building it and putting it together and I start showing it to my beta readers and I start showing it to my agent and getting feedback and going from there. Um, and uh, it's kind of the same thing as I was talking about with the nonfiction articles, right? It's like finding the passion and finding the fun, finding something that's going to move me and make me laugh or make me cry or whatever it is. Uh, and then if it's affecting me that way, there's a much better chance that it's going to affect the reader as well. I gotcha. Um, so can you tell everybody a little bit about your debut Titan Shades? So it's the first novel in your Carter archive series. Um, I obviously read it last year, uh, about to start on Titans day here pretty soon. Uh, cause I know it's coming out here on the 7th of April. Uh, but tell everybody that maybe hasn't had an opportunity to check out Titan Shade, kind of what they could expect going in. Sure. It's a uh, noir police procedural set in a fantasy world with 1970s technology. Um, so basically it's murder, magic, and disco. And um, it's, you know, it goes all the way back to me looking at those Lord of the Ring calendars as a kid and reading at the same time Edgar Allan Poe and Stephen King and I would always think what would happen in 
you know, a Middle Earth or, you know, the Dragonlance worlds of Kryn or whatever it was, what's going to happen to these kind of medieval fantasy worlds as technology progresses and culture, the population grows and culture stabilizes and there's urbanization and they're going to need emergency services. And what would a cop have to do in order to live in a situation like that or a firefighter or a politician or whoever? Uh, so it was my attempt to kind of explore that idea. And, um, you know, it kind of came out as this crazy buddy cop story with face mandibles and uh, murder mysteries. So, I got you. Um, so uh, I guess kind of what, um, not, not really what, but. I guess how did you come up with uh, the idea of like like this, these buddy cops? Like, how did you come out, you know, with all the the mandibles? Like, where did that come from? Where did that originate from? You know, honestly, um, it didn't come from one specific thing. I think that a lot of writing is making a bunch of tiny observations mm-hmm. and letting it brew in the back of my head, and then they click together. So you get. Uh, small details that juxtapose and bring bring out one element or another. Um, I also used to be part of an online community called Liberty Hall, mm-hmm. and it was a flash fiction challenge. And it ran weekly, and every week you would have, they would give you a prompt, and when you got the prompt, it, a timer started, and you had 90 minutes to write a flash fiction story. Uh, and having to write so fast took the burden of quality right off your shoulders because nobody expected it to be good and then we would all share these anonymous stories and give each other critiques and encouragement and that kind of thing uh and there was one i don't even remember what the prompt was to be honest with you but at the end of 90 minutes i had the first chapter of titan shade written up and a kind of rough outline for the first half or three quarters of the novel uh and it's it came all at once, but I think it had been brewing for a long time in the back of my head without me necessarily knowing it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, so Carter himself, uh, I had written in my review that he kind of reminded me of uh, of Nick Sachs from the comic Happy. I don't know if you've ever read that comic or seen the show that they did on sci-fi. Um, oh, yeah. And it's funny because it's also played by the same actor who was Elliot Stabler in Law & Order SVU. So I, I think it's just his demeanor, <laughs> but he reminds me a lot of those characters. Is, is that it? You feel like that's a fair comparison? Yeah, that is, that is a fair comparison. Um, it is in a lot of ways because I was blending the noir detective and fantasy elements. I tried to find ways to lean into those kind of noir tropes of both character and setting so that it would help guide you through the world by giving you something familiar to latch onto. Mm -hmm. And if I did my job right, then I took those tropes and just as you were getting comfortable with them, I would tweak them in some way or turn them upside down and try to deliver them to you, but in a surprising way so that you're comfortable with the, you're comfortable with the roller coaster ride, but the dips still uh, surprise and thrill you. I might be straining my metaphor on that one, but I I think you know what I mean. (laughs) Maybe just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, I I asked, I asked why mandibles. So now why noir? What, uh, what fascinates you about noir that makes you want to write, you know, one that's a book that's based on it. You know, the crazy thing, it it goes back to that 
there's Liberty Hall flash fiction challenges mm-hmm. and that, um, you know, every week I would try out a different genre <laughs> or a different uh, way of approaching POV or a different way of structure. <clears throat> um, it let me essentially rapid prototype my writing so that I could try out all kinds of different things. I was able to try out hard science fiction and romance and paranormal and you know anything you can think of. And I found the, the places that felt most natural to me um, were in kind of a, a modern fantasy and uh, some kind of take on the noir detective and the, the kind of intrinsic jigsaw puzzle nature of a, a mystery. Uh, so I, I was always most comfortable with those elements mm-hmm. and putting them together just felt very natural to me. I got you. Um, so your upcoming uh, release, which is the sequel to Titan Shades called Titan's Day, comes out on April 7th. Um, can you uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the story that we're going to be getting ourselves into and kind of, uh, I guess, uh, what is it going to be about? It's about uh, the, 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 the main detectives from the first book. Uh, picks up a couple weeks later, and it's dealing with the aftermath of the fallout from Titan Shade and the way that both the city is reacting politically and economically to those events and how it has an impact both at a citywide political level and uh, on a deeply personal individual levels. And so I get to dive into the characters and also pull back a little bit and see a little bit more of this world and how the different elements of the uh, the macroeconomic and the the wider view uh, range of the world gets to interact with itself. Um, yeah, I, I I really wanted to show some of those bigger things in process, mm. and a part of the editing and revising process for me was whittling back some of that stuff because even though it's super cool to me how the economics of the thing work it's not always exciting to read about so finding ways instead of just talking about it to show it impacting characters lives um i heard somebody the other day and i I wish i could remember who it was but um they were talking about instead of writing about societal issues you write about characters who are dealing with problems. Mm-hmm. And if you take big concepts, you can show how it impacts people. And that makes for a really emotionally powerful read and a much more rewarding story when everything's said and done. I got you. So, uh, I've seen the cover. Obviously I've seen the cover for Titan shade and I've seen it for Titans day based on the arc, but, um, there's some really fantastic cover designs by Chris McGrath. Do you have any uh, any hand in their creation at all, or is that really just uh, the books are sent to Chris and they're like, "All right, do what you do." <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a uh, there's uh, a lot of publishers and writers with horror stories about cover design and things happening with uh, no notice given, and I had exactly the opposite uh, experience working with Daw. Daw is fantastic for this kind of stuff. Um, while we were getting ready to go into production for Titan shade, they asked if I had any ideas for the cover and I put together some, uh, samples of like kind of photos of, uh, Boston and other cities where that had that kind of feel that I wanted of narrow cramped streets. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I sent them over and then I sent over some sample 
uh, covers that had the right feel that I wanted uh, from artists who had worked with Daw before. And I, in particular, I pitched them on Chris's work and they looked at all of it and they said, yeah, this makes sense. We're going to give him a call and see if he can get going. And the next thing I knew, they had us both on an email chain and they made an introduction and just said, go for it. And uh, they kind of monitored it to make sure that I didn't end up with, uh, I don't know, like a spinal tap, black on black cover of, you know, <laughs> something uh, unintelligible or something. But um, they mostly just let Chris and I go at it and work on the design. And I was in nerd heaven, David. It was fantastic. <laughs> just seeing him like take these characters and put all these little details in. Uh, the questions he asked were fantastic. The, uh, the aviator glasses on Carter was something that he just added. And, and he asked, is it, you know, is this okay? And showed it to me. I was like, oh, yeah, that's beautiful. I, I love it. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And then for the for the second book, they asked if I had any suggestions. And um, I kind of pitched him on the idea for the, for the second book. And, you know, we had worked together before, and Chris just sort of took that and ran with it. Uh, and I, I'm very happy with both of them. That's awesome. Yeah, he uh... – He's, he's kind of one that I've seen just like on Instagram. And I think I started following him after Titan shade, like after I got a copy of it. Cause I was like, all right, I need to know who this artist is. And I started going through and he does, I think he's done like a whole series for like Philip Quantrill. And uh, I think he just like released one for like a new halo novel. And like, you can kind of tell his work just based on, you know, kind of like the, the characters themselves. Cause he does a lot of like character heavy covers. And just like the uh, the color tones that he uses, but man, there his covers are just so gorgeous. Like I, I would I would be I would just go to you know the the bookstore and just buy like every of you know every one of them up just because I feel like they just look so good on a shelf. You know, absolutely. When so, it, it, it was a huge marketing boon for explaining to people what Titan Shade was because it's a debut author, nobody knew what it was about. But you look at that cover, and it just communicates it exactly. It's like cops, nineteen seventies fantasy, weird monsters. You know, you're either in or you're not. But you're not going to pick up that book and be surprised about what it's about. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. And and and, I, and I'm assuming that uh, he pretty much captured exactly what you figured Carter and his partner would look like. Yeah, yeah. He he just really dove in, and um, I I very much. And again, I. This goes back to those Tolkien calendars I used to look at as a kid, right? Because you have all these different artists doing radically different interpretations of the same source material. Yeah. Or it's the same way like a, like a Neil Adams uh, Batman is going to be totally different from a Frank Miller Batman, mm. but they're both Batman. And you know it's Batman when you look at it. And I feel the same way about an artist's interpretation of a book. You know, they're they're both legitimate uh, that one artist is going to have a slightly different take on it. But yeah, it's, it's all just about taking that, that prose and bringing it to life and putting their own unique spin on it. And I'm, like I said, I'm really happy with it. And it makes it a lot easier for booksellers to put it face out. Libraries tend to put it face out, things like that. So it's a huge help. For sure. Um, so what are you working on now? I'm, I'm just going to go out and flat out assume book three in the Carter archives, but I could be completely <laughs> off base. <laughs> no, ab- absolutely. I am uh, polishing up. Uh, I've got a good chunk of the book, book three written, and I'm going back in and cleaning it up right now. And I'm sort of having to take a step back and reread through it and make sure it's flowing right. Uh, one of the big things I always want to do is I try to 
make myself sit down and look at it from a reader's point of view and step through everything to make sure that it's logical and it makes sense and it's paced well and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I got to say, book three is really such a different feeling as I'm writing it because writing book two, I had to learn how to write a sequel. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't something I'd done before. And it is a surprisingly different skill set from writing a standalone or the first book in a series. And so I was able to take all those hard-won lessons and put them into practice right from day one. And it has made a world of difference. And it is so much fun working on this book three. I can't wait to share it with people and uh, just let it loose into the world. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, how many books, I guess, are you planning on this series currently? Um we are contracted through book three. Okay. Uh, I am doing my best to end each book in a way that it feels satisfying. Mm -hmm. So I'm not doing a heavy, I don't do cliffhangers and I don't do uh, major, I don't leave a bunch of balls in the air. Yeah. Um, it's much more based on um, kind of a classic mystery series mm -hmm. where each one of those books could be read as a standalone and each one of them feels complete in and of itself, even as you're going through a uh, character arc with the characters and you're still growing and changing. So that, learning how to do that, too, has also uh, been an ongoing process. And I'm, I'm really happy with the way that it's developed through the first two books. I gotcha. It's it's almost like watching uh, like a television series. Say, like, say, just for instance, Law and Order. You can watch episodes. You don't have to watch them in a row. But if you do watch them in a row, you can see the characters grow and their life experiences and so forth as the as the stories continue. Um, and you could, I mean, I don't know if you could read them out of order though. Could you? Because you you think you could read your series out of order? Uh, I well, it's there are definitely the the impacts of book one continue on through book two, mm -hmm. and um, the two main characters. Book one is very much a, a buddy cop kind of story. Mm -hmm. And so these characters get to know each other over the course of the novel. And I would never start, I'd never hit the reset button and all of a sudden have them antagonistic again <laughs> at the start of book two. Right. right? That, that wouldn't make sense. Yeah. So if I do it right, you can pick up book two and you don't feel like you're jumping on midstream. You feel like, all right, this is a totally legitimate, logical place to begin a story. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, that's all part of learning the craft of the sequel. Yeah. And I know that's a totally offbeat question. So <laughs> no, no, that's, that, I mean, that is a big chunk of uh, learning how to write this stuff is finding ways, finding out how you want to lean into it because it's also a totally legitimate approach to say, no, man, you need to read books one, two, and three in order, or they're not going to make sense because right. you're bundling them as a trilogy. Yeah. Um, so it's just different ways of marketing and different ways of storytelling, but they're all, they're all totally valid. Gotcha. Um, so I'm sure you've got some ideas of kind of where you would go next after this series wraps up. Um, would you want to write like another series? Would you want to write a standalone? Would you stay kind of in this same noir fantasy world? Or would you want to go maybe off and, you know, pull a Stephen King and write a horror or a thriller novel? Or what do you, what do you think is next for you after the Carter archives? I do have, um, a kind of a roadmap laid out for myself of, I know I want to tell this story and I want to tell that story and I want to tell this story next. And, uh, they're partly based on where I think my 
my craft will be as a writer because mm-hmm. some stories are a little bit trickier to pull off. You know, I, I could write the book, but it's not going to be as good as it could be. So I'm trying to work my way towards some of those ones that are a little bit more demanding for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all have uh, common elements. I love fantasy. I love mysteries. So they all lean in in kind of that spectrum between those two. But there there is at least one uh, straight mystery that I want to sit down and write. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And there's uh, at least one much more weird, fantastically horrible, uh, horrific uh, kind of nightmare-inducing type book that I got in me too that I want to... I want to at least get it down on paper. We'll see how good it is, but <laughs> I gotcha. Uh, so, so tell me, um, do you do you do a lot of reading? Uh, I guess on the side of of your writing, do you do you get the opportunity, or do you have the time to read a lot? Oh man, I I love reading, and uh, I can't get enough of grabbing new books. Uh, like a, probably like most of your listeners, I have this ridiculous stack of books to be read in my house. And I, I have, you know, I suffer from that disease where if I'm going into a bookstore, I know I'm going to walk out with more stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of crazy because between my Kindle and my, my entire bookshelf of things that I need to get around to reading, uh, I, I have more than enough to deal with at home, but Mm -hmm. uh, I can't help it. There's so much good stuff coming out right now. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those things where you feel like you're good and then the next month rolls around and you're like, Oh my gosh, there's like 10 more. I've got to get <laughs> yep. it's It's a vicious cycle. That's never going to end. And it's, it's amazing. And it's also frustrating because <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you can, you can read something and it was so great. And then you see somebody else read something completely different, but it's also something you want to read and you get frustrated. You're just like, well, dad coming out, I should have read that one. But you're like, but this one was so good and they haven't read it. So, but I don't know what to do. That's the issue with being in the book community. I, I'm telling you, like I, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to like wrap my brain around all the things that I want to read and when I want to do it. And then every time I grab something and I'll start getting into it, somebody will post about how great something else is that maybe is like two or three down the line. And I go, well, crap, now I've got to, I need to read that now. Like, <laughs> and, and I feel bad because I, I, I let authors down or I feel like I do, even though they probably don't even know or care that I'm reading their novel. But, um, but well, yeah, I, it's, I think yeah. it's just, it's just part of the, you know, the being overwhelmed with all this, you know, embarrassment of riches that right. we have right now. Uh, but I, I mean, I have books who, or I have friends who've written books that I've gone out and bought and they're critically acclaimed and they're best selling books and everybody loves them. And I still haven't read them. And, you know, and they're my friends. And I just, I, there, there's so many things going on in everybody's life. It's hard to, schedule out time and find time to read all these different things. Oh yeah, for sure. Cause I, I know like when I, when I first got the ability to, to work remote and I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get so much reading done. But I just took a new position at work a couple of weeks ago and like it, I'm not going to say it's been torture, but it's been like crazy busy and crazy stressful for like at least a week and a half of the, let's say a week and a half that I've been working remote. <laughs> and, uh, I just, I haven't had time to, to really finish anything. I think I've finished, we'll say I've finished three books in the past week and a half, which sounds like a lot to some people. Sounds like really few to some. It's, that's not a lot for me. Uh, and it's just one of those things where usually when I'm working, I listen to audiobooks and I can generally keep up with them. But like with this new gig, like a lot of it is really me 
having to really stress the details and stuff. And I can't do, I can't multitask with it. And so it's really slowed my stuff down, but luckily I have a Kindle so I can read at night. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you when I worked construction, you know, doing admin, I wouldn't listen to, uh, listen to books on tape when I was, when I was actually working on something, either running a saw or, you know, up on a roof or whatever, mm-hmm. I, I would have an audio book going and I got through a ton of books that way. But when I'm writing, I can't have an audiobook going in the back of my head. It's like, you know, I can't process the words and make words at the same time. So um, I don't know if audio- anybody can do that. <laughs> <laughs> so my audiobooks have really dropped off. So uh, I don't do as many audiobooks as I used to. I gotcha. But- that's that's kind of like my main my main go-to is just because I can usually get the books done quicker because I can listen at a, at a quicker rate. And because um, in, in – Typically, I was listening to him on the way to and from work and then while I was at work so I could get them done, say, you know, a book a day. But, yeah, it's just been it's been hard to find the time. So I'm, I'm actually which sounds crazy. I'm actually able to, like, find time to read now. Like, who who does that? But um, and it's it's been fun. Like, I just uh, I just got an early copy of um, Jeremy Robert Johnson's The Loop, which comes up from Gallery in September. So he wrote a, a book called School Crack City several years ago that uh, got some like big blurbs from uh, from like David Wong and um, I'm gonna miss his last name uh, Chuck P. He wrote Fight Club. I never get his last name correctly. Um, uh, I never get it. Yeah, Chuck Polniak. or something like yeah, that. I, 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 forgive I, me, whoever's listening, that can say his name right because I, I never, uh, I've actually never heard it, so I can't say it. But um, I, I figure anytime I, I run into that, I just figure you know all of all of us readers who read everything and consume all all our information that way, we know we don't know how to pronounce anything. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just I just picked it up and started reading it. It's like tabbed as uh, Stranger Things meets World War Z. So okay. it's uh, it's pretty good so far, and I've been reading uh, The Kingdom of Liars by Nick Martell. Um, just finished Mallory by Josh Mallerman, uh, which comes out in, in uh, July. And uh, what else am I reading right now? Uh, oh, I'm finishing up Eden by Tim Levin. So I'm I've got a, a good mix of genres uh, going on right now, and then uh, and then of course Titans Day will be coming up here probably in the next few days. Uh, to get it out before release. So, what about you? What you been What you been reading lately? I, do you normally have a bunch of books going at once? Like oh yeah, that? I've usually got five to seven going at one time. Okay, yeah, I usually have three or four going, and you know, I'll be enjoying them all, but one of them all of a sudden will hook me, uh-huh. and then I can't put it down, and I won't touch anything else until I get through that one book. Um, and it's usually they'll they'll hook me a little bit into it, so I'll have three or four of them going, and then I get focused in and obsessed with one. And I read it all the way through and then I work on the others and kind of move through them that way. Yeah. Um, I just listened to, uh, uh, speaking of audiobooks, I listened to the ruin of Kings by Jen Lyons. Okay. Um, and that's, that's really fun because they have, I think it's three narrators. So they have one, there's, and there's a bunch of different POVs. It's a fascinating book, the way she structured it. So it's two different people telling a story. Um, and they're, telling different t- different sections of the same story in different timelines. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, interspersed by footnotes from another narrator. So it's this fabulous book for audio because uh, you'll get 
one point, one narrator reading it, a number of POVs, along with these kind of droll little comments from the uh, footnote narrator, kind of saying some, a lot of times it's a funny aside or it's world building information or something else. And it's a, it's a really uh, intricately structured and beautifully plotted and put together book, really fun stuff. Um, and right now I'm reading uh, Joe Nesbo's The Bat, which is the first Harry Hole mystery. Yeah. Um, so that's, I hadn't been reading that series before and I'm just kind of diving into it now. Uh, and it's a really fun so far. I mean, I'm liking it a lot. I gotcha. Oh yeah. And I'm also listening to, uh, the boy from the woods by Harlan Coben. So oh that. yeah. Yeah. I just picked up, uh, the stranger, which came out a while ago. Um, but I saw that they had, they made a TV series of it and I'd been meaning to read it anyway. Um, so yeah, yeah. Corbin does really fun stuff. Yeah. It's, it's my first, uh, it's my first, first one by him. Um, it's pretty good. Uh, I, I may end up doing like a, a quick, uh, like re-listen. I maybe put it like at a three or something just to go back through it real quick. Cause I feel like I, I had it going pretty well today and then work took a turn and I just kept it going. And I'm like, I don't remember half of what I just listened to the last three or four hours. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I kind of, um, after watching like the first episode of the stranger and um, I really enjoyed it. So I decided I was like, all right, I'll, I'll look and see what, what else he's got going on. And I saw that he had a new book uh, it released on the 17th and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll order a copy and, and see what all the fuss is about. Cause I know some of his books have like, like thousands upon thousands of like reviews and stuff on Goodreads and Amazon. So I was like, obviously people like this guy, I got to find out why. Um, and uh, the fact that he's already got, you know, two Netflix series that and safe. Uh, I was like, obviously there's something to this guy. So I've got to, I've got to find out. And I've kind of been, uh, I've been really into thrillers here recently. I've I've read like three John Mars books in the past month. And um, I had him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And so I, I'm, I'm kind of like on that kick, but yeah, I've got to, I've still got to get my fantasy and science fiction, uh, you know, doses in. So uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to read those while listening to thrillers. Cause I can kind of get through thrillers a lot quicker on audio because man, fantasy can be, you know, become really time consuming on audio depending on how big the scope is. So, yeah, I mean, that is true. Like I said, I, I loved ruin of Kings, but it's like 27 hours. Yeah. So, you know, it's a commitment. And then like the, you know, a, a thriller is going to be like eight or nine. Right. So, and you, and usually they're, they're pretty succinct. I mean, you, 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 you know, started off, you know, usually there's a murder or something in the beginning and then you kind of get the characters and you kind of get hooked in and then the characters start really revealing themselves. And then you have the big climax and then it's over and you're like, okay, I feel, I feel like I, you know, I've gotten through the whole book now. I completely understand it. It was either good. It was bad. And you go on to the next one. Cause there's so many thrillers out there, <laughs> but you know, if you find like that one or two authors that, you know, you kind of enjoy all their stuff, then it, makes it a lot easier to kind of pick it up and go through it because you kind of know how they write, but you just never know what that twist is going to be. And John Mars has kind of become that for me. Um, I just finished uh, his book that came out last year called The Passengers. And it's about these, uh, you know, kind of about like self self automated cars are like the future and they're here now. And these eight people get um, basically locked in their cars and rerouted from where they're originally going to. And, uh, basically th these hackers are like, all right, uh, public, you get to choose who gets to live and who gets to die. And there's like this whole like polling system with social media and all this stuff. 
And like while that's going on, like these these characters who you kind of feel for at the beginning, like their true nature and stories kind of start come start coming out. And you've got all these points of views and all these different uh, you know characters that are doing these different things. It's it's just it's so good. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, a good a good thriller is just fantastic. It's just such a, such a, like a ripping read and like moves so perfectly timed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's really satisfying. Yeah, because I mean, you know, because like in, in fantasy and science fiction, sometimes you can just there's a whole lot of expose and world building that it can feel a little muddling, even though it's necessary. Um, whereas in like thrillers, you don't really have to have any world building. It's like okay, it takes place in this city with these people and go. <laughs> Yeah, actually, you know, it was thrillers and fantasy, and comparing those two is when I really started to understand how genre works and how you deliver on reader expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that somebody showed me one time is, like, if you go to the library or bookstore and you grab a thriller and, like, a fantasy novel and you flip them out side by side and you compare the font size and the margins and, you know, like, uh, the letting, the space in between lines, mm-hmm. um, a uh, thriller is way less dense. Like there's fewer words on a page in a thriller. Mm-hmm. And it's so that you get that sensation of forward momentum. You're constantly turning pages and you're like driving and through right through the story. And there's like a rhythm and a pace to it. And it propels you. And a fantasy is much more leisurely and languid. Even in like a, even in a tense fantasy novel, you're, the readers often want to kind of dive in and experience a world and immerse themselves in it. And just the way that the industry can deliver that sensation in conjunction with the author's story is really interesting to me. And it's all about like delivering what the reader wants and telling the best possible story. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So this is going to be the first time I've done this. So we're, this is, we're 28 episodes in and I've never asked another author to do this. But I want you – it's going to be like one of those uh, situations like when you're uh, up for an uh, interview for a sales job and they go, sell me this pen. I want, you to, I want you to sell me on Titan Shade. Even though I've read it, I want you to sell me like I've never read it before. Sure. Titan Shade or Titan's Day? We'll do Titan Shade since, okay. since, uh, since I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just assume most of my audience has not read it. Okay. It is uh, two of – the most fun and entertaining genres to read, a mystery dripping in noir and uh, detective uh, intrigue combined with a fantasy and the wonder of magic. And you put those things together and it's like Men in Black meets Chinatown. It's this perfect combination of magic and awe and mystery and paranoia. And uh, you just can't even possibly want to pass up something like that. <laughs> Do you like how I put you on the spot for that? I feel like I feel like I'm not even gonna like tell people that I'm gonna do that question because I feel like it's one of those it's not one of those things I go over at the beginning before we start chatting. And I'm like, I just wanna see, I just wanna see like who really stumbles at it. You did a great job. But I, I'm gonna catch those one or two people that just really stumble on it. Uh just because I I, I don't know. I feel like I want to add an element to this whole thing. So. <laughs> oh man. Well, uh, well, Dan, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's it's been an amazing time chatting with you, even uh, even with my uh, you know less advanced technologically way to do this podcast with just a laptop and my cell phone. Uh, and and for those who are listening in, yeah, I basically did this entire thing 
talking to Dan on Skype on my phone, using the speakerphone and using my work laptop microphone. So this is uh, the fact that you guys are going to be able to actually listen to this is kind of a miracle. Um, but, uh, but guys, you can find Dan on Twitter at Dan Stout. You can find him on Instagram at Dan Stout Writer, on Facebook at Dan Stout Writer, and you can find his website at www.danstout.com. Uh, like I said, Titan Shade is currently available everywhere. Uh, now, if you order it on Amazon, especially if you get a paperback, you're probably not going to get it to the end of April because I'm pretty sure they shut down everything that's non-essential, even though Titan Shade is an essential read. Uh, to it like is, April 23rd. <laughs> yeah, and actually they just changed it back today. I think paperbacks oh, are back. To, yeah, paperbacks are back to the regular, but who knows how long that's going to last. <laughs> it, may, it may only be today. So today yeah. only, uh, <laughs> which is, which is going to be March 27th when this comes out. Um, but uh, but guys, uh, Titans Day, uh, which is the second book in the series, we'll go ahead and call it a direct sequel. Will be out on April 7th from Doll Books. Uh, so definitely check that one out. Uh, you can check out. Uh, my review, which will probably be coming right around publishing day, if you guys want to know more about it. Uh, I also have a review of Titan Shade on my blog at fanfyaddict.com. And uh, yeah, Dan, we're uh, we're looking forward to uh, more in this world of Titan Shade and uh, more from you with Carter Archives and beyond. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me. This yeah, is so man. much fun. Absolutely. It's been, it's been a great time. And uh, let's do this again. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks. Hope you guys enjoyed my chat with author Dan Stale. Definitely check out his Carter Archive series. Like I said, Titan Shade is currently available everywhere, and Titan's Day will be out on April 7th. Uh, tune in on Sunday. I'll actually be chatting with fantasy author Anna Smith-Spark, who wrote one of my favorite series ever, The Empires of Dust, for Orbit Books. Uh, I'll be actually chatting with her on Saturday afternoon, but I'll be dropping the episode on Sunday um, I also just added Max Berry, uh, about, and we'll be talking about his new novel, Providence, uh, which actually comes out uh, next week. Um, we'll be talking on April 2nd, uh, just since his tour got canceled due to COVID. Uh, and then on April 7th, I'll be talking to fantasy debut author Nick Martell about his upcoming novel, The Kingdom of Liars. But guys, just um, thanks as always for tuning in. I uh, hope you guys are staying safe out there, and um, feel free to reach out. If you guys need anything or just to let me know you're enjoying the podcast or even if you hate the podcast, let me know. <laughs> uh, just really whatever. I just want to hear from you guys. I know it's uh, some trying times, but I just hope uh, everybody's doing well and hope these are a little bit of a ray of sunshine in your day. Thanks. Thanks.